government. This is VOA News. I'm Michael Brown. AP Washington correspondent Sagar Magani reports on the White House confirming Russia has obtained a troubling anti-satellite weapon. The White House confirms Russia has obtained an anti-satellite weapon, but is urging calm. National Security spokesman John Kirby specifies the weapon is not operational, and while Russia's pursuit of it is troubling. There is no immediate threat to anyone's safety. We are not talking about a weapon that can be used to attack human beings or cause physical destruction here on Earth. The White House confirmed the intelligence after a vague warning yesterday from House Intelligence Chair Mike Turner urging the administration to declassify information about a serious national security threat. Kirby says that process had already started and says Turner regrettably warned of the threat anyway. He says the White House will try to directly engage with Russia about the weapon. Sagar Magani, Washington. Officials said Russia launched new missiles. Missile attacks on Ukraine Thursday, injuring 11 people in different parts of the country. VOA's Rick Pantaleo has more. Officials in Lviv, near Ukraine's border with Poland, said three people were slightly injured there, while two schools and a kindergarten were damaged. Yurko Nazork is the co-founder of a private school in Lviv. Fortunately, there were no children here. Even if the attack happened during the school day, the children would have been in a bomb shelter. There were no children in the school at the time of the attack, so there are no casualties. It was the second series of Russian missile attacks so far this month. Rick Pantaleo, VOA News. And for more news, we invite you to join us at our website, voanews.com. This is VOA News. The United States does not see signs of an imminent war by North Korea, despite incredibly dangerous activities in recent months and its refusal to engage in diplomatic talks with the U.S., a top U.S. official told reporters on Thursday. Earlier this week, North Korea carried out its fifth cruise missile launch of the year, which came just days ahead of a joint U.S.-Japan missile defense training exercise scheduled for next week. In Tokyo, a Japanese official issued a cautionary statement regarding North Korea's escalating capabilities. Police here in the U.S. are trying to determine who was behind the mass shooting at the Kansas City Chiefs Super Bowl celebration. We hit more from correspondent Bruce Morton. Mayor Quentin Lucas says if the Chiefs win another Super Bowl, it might be better for a smaller event at their home stadium. This way, he believes security can be managed more easily. One person was killed and 22 people wounded when gunfire broke out shortly after the Chiefs left the stage at their victory rally on Wednesday. Security experts say large gatherings combined with the prevalence of guns can make for a deadly combination. I'm Bruce Morton. Greece has become the first Orthodox Christian country to legalize same-sex marriage. We get the details from AP correspondent Lisa Dwight. Despite opposition from church officials, a cross-party majority of 176 lawmakers in the 300-seat Greek parliament voted in favor of the same-sex civil marriage bill drafted by the prime minister's center-right government. The new law recognizes parental rights for same-sex couples but will not allow gay men to acquire biological children by using surrogate mothers in Greece, an option currently available to women who can't have children for health reasons. 
Supporters of the bill say same-sex couples will now be able to pick up their children from school, be able to travel, go to the doctor, or take children to the hospital. Same-sex civil partnerships have been allowed in Greece since 2015, but that only conferred legal guardianship to the biological parent, leaving their partners in a bureaucratic limbo. I'm Lisa Dwyer. Senegal's Constitutional Council on Thursday ruled that Parliament's unprecedented postponement of the February 25th presidential election was not in line with the Constitution, pitching the country into a new phase of electoral uncertainty. Opposition presidential candidates, lawmakers last week filed legal challenges to the bill that delayed the vote to December and extended President Macky Sall's mandate in what critics said amounted to an institutional coup. The standoff has fueled widespread unrest and raised international concerns that one of the remaining democracies in coup-hit West Africa is under threat. For more news, join us at voanews.com. I'm Michael Brown, VOA News. Good morning, Africa. Welcome to Daybreak Africa from the Voice of America. I'm James Barty in Washington. Today is Friday, February 16th, and here are some of the stories we are covering. Senegal's Constitutional Council says President Macky Sall's abrupt delay of the February presidential election is unconstitutional. This means that Senegalese strongly defend their own constitution, and it means that the democratic system that we have, you know, the social contract that is behind that democratic system is still holding. Internet restrictions in Guinea begin hitting hard on companies and the economy. A Zimbabwe court convicts and sentences an opposition leader for the second time. Somalia and the United States signed a memorandum of understanding to construct five military bases for Somalia's elite forces. The aim is to start soon and finish within this calendar year where uh, the Somali security forces are aiming to take responsibility of security from Atlantic. And Malawi police seized mobile phones and laptops from at least 14 journalists working at the state-run Malawi Broadcasting Corporation. Those stories, plus our Black History Month presentation and Samson O'Malley's post are coming up on Daybreak Africa. Senegal's February 25 presidential election that was abruptly postponed by President Macky Sall and codified by parliamentary by the parliament may be back on track. This after the country's Constitutional Council late Thursday ruled that the postponement violated Senegal's constitution. The abrupt delay generated protest and international condemnation. Political analyst Ibrahim Akar tells me that Senegalese see the Constitutional Council ruling as a testament to the strength of their country's democracy. This afternoon, the Constitutional Council decided to abrogate the decree that the president used to call off the election. And also the Constitutional Court declared the law that was adopted by the parliament unconstitutional, meaning that the election will go ahead and that the president's term will end on 2nd of April. That's exactly what I was going to ask you. What happens now to the election? So is everybody ready to go? Yes, but I think the constitutional court was uh, really aware of the fact that now the election cannot be held on the 25th of February. In one particular paragraph of uh, the decision, 
He said that he knows that it's practically not possible to have the election on time. Now it's asking the institution that are really organizing the election to come up with a new date for the election, realistic date for the election. So then that date of the election will be then approved by the, the Constitutional Council. So it means that election will be certainly held end of March, maybe beginning of April, because not many things have been done to have the election held in February. So they have to do a lot of work. But, and this is very important, the same list that the Constitutional Council has uh, adopted to participate in the election are the only people who will be participating in the election. In the meantime, we know that uh, President Macky Sall is supposed to leave office in April. Are you saying that the election will be held before the time for the president to leave power? Well, I don't know which date will finally be accepted for the date of the election, but our constitution has provision. When Sall term ends on the 2nd of uh, April, he will be automatically replaced by the Speaker of the Parliament, who will stay in office for a maximum of 90 days. But... Probably, Makisal is not the one who will be handing over the power to the next president of the republic. What is the reaction in Dakar to this news? It's just a relief. A relief for all of us because this shows that Senegalese are really concerned about the election day. It means that also the Senegalese strongly defend their own constitution and it means that The democratic system that we have, you know, the social contract that is behind that democratic system is still holding. And that's for the majority of Senegalese is the most important thing. Ibrahim Khan is a Senegalese political analyst. He was speaking with us from the capital, Dakar. In Guinea-Conakry, internet restrictions have begun impacting private enterprises and companies, which say they are losing billions of Guinea francs every month. And without income, they depend on the Internet for their daily transactions. Many say they are planning to close until the web is properly restored. Karim Kamara has the story from Kunakri. Some of the entities that are closing down due to financial challenges include business enterprises and road construction companies. They say since the government imposed restrictions on free access to the Internet, their businesses have taken a turn for the worse as they are losing hundreds and thousands of dollars a month. Isa Conte runs a private online business enterprise here. He says his enterprise is losing about $100,000 every month on workers' salaries, rent, fuel, while for the past two months, his enterprise has ceased operations because they could no longer access the Internet to facilitate their business transactions. He says it is total paralysis and that he would like to say further that the whole country which uses digital is affected. He says they have been used to the Internet and can do nothing without it. The Guinean government is not ready to back down desperate calls by Western diplomats, right groups and the Guinean Bar Association to restore the Internet. Now, according to entrepreneur Joseph Tongino, his enterprise is losing 2 billion Guinean francs monthly, about $200,000, and he is without income for the past two months. He says they are having a difficult time carrying out transactions. At the same time, the state is forcing them to pay taxes. He says he has over 100 workers for whom he is spending over 
$200,000 a month. He says he will be obliged to make many of his workers take leave until the internet is fully restored in the country. Another entrepreneur, Abraham So, the owner of a road construction company, he says his company is also losing billions of Guinean francs and some of the best workers in the country. He says the internet restrictions in Guinea means his business is no longer operating as it did before and is losing billions of Guinean francs. TV advertisers and private internet suppliers have also complained of losing billions of Guinean francs because their customers are no longer hiring them due to the internet restrictions in Guinea. Recently, Western diplomats held a meeting with the Minister of Telecommunications, Usman Gawad Jallo. They urged him to restore the internet, which they say is a civic right. But the minister says the internet in Guinea is not a right and added that no country has the right to dictate policies to the government. He accuses broadcasters and certain Guineans of using the internet to put the country's security at risk. The U.S. Undersecretary of State for West Africa says Guinea is losing $47 million from internet subscription fees by Guineans due to the restrictions. For VU Africa, I am Karim Kamara in Conakry. Somalia and the United States on Thursday signed a memorandum of understanding for the construction of five military bases for the elite Somali forces known as Danam or Lightning. Somali, Somali officials said Danam was trained by the U.S. and their, their number close to 3,000. Hassan Sheikh Ali is the national security advisor to Somali President Hassan Sheikh Mohammed. He tells Haru Maruf of the Somali service that agreement is crucial. It's a crucial step for Somalia to take up responsibility from the African Union forces in the fight against Al-Shabaab. This memorandum of understanding is a, a follow-up agreements that uh, the United States and the Somalia government have agreed to uh, rebuild a Somali special forces called Danap number size 3000 with it is uh, all capabilities including the camps that they're going to operate from. And uh, that uh, agreement started uh, sometime 2014, and it was nationally signed 2017 uh, as a national security architecture. And this memorandum that was signed uh, today was uh, a completion of that uh, agreement. And tell us how these bases are going to look like. When is their building going to start? And how long will it last? The aim is to start soon and finish within uh, this calendar year, uh, where uh, that the Somali security forces are aiming to take responsibility of security from Atmis. And these special forces will be a crucial units for that endeavor. How uh, the camp will look like? It will look like a military camp. Uh, with the full capacity to host uh, special forces. And how does it help Somali National Army? What does it mean to the government? Well, it's a, a very important and crucial step of uh, taking responsibility from Atmis and the, the fight against Al-Shabaab, where special uh, unit forces are critical uh, in this endeavor. You mentioned it, ATMIS, the African Union Transition Mission in Somalia. They just concluded the second phase of the drawdown. ATMIS is going to conclude this mission by the end of this year. What happens next? What happens next is uh, still uh, it's not, it's incomplete uh, discussion where uh, Somalia and the African Union 
and the UN have already agreed to have a, a lean multinational uh, forces to protect key uh, infrastructure within uh, Somalia, where Somalia security forces would uh, use as the logistical hubs and uh, also uh, where the international agencies and uh, perhaps some international embassies are based for protection only. Hussein Sheikh Ali is the National Security Advisor to Somali President Hassan Sheikh Mohammed. He spoke with Haru Marouf of VUS Somali Service. You are listening to Daybreak Africa on the Voice of America. I'm James Butt in Washington. Today is Friday, February 16. For more Africa news and features, visit our website at voaafrica.com. Connect with us on all social media platforms. We are on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And still to come on our program, Samson O'Malley Sports and our Black History Month Facts. Zimbabwe's firebrand opposition leader, Job Job Sikali, is uh, back in court on Friday for sentencing on a charge of obstruction of justice. Sikana spent uh, nearly 600 days in jail and was released after receiving a suspended sentence for inciting public violence. He was in court again on Thursday and was given a nine-month suspended sentence for publishing falsehoods if he pays a $500 fine by March 4. Columbus Mavunga was there and has this report for us. Those are supporters of Job Scala seeing after Harari Bad Street, Ferenc Chakanyunka ordered him to pay a $500 fine or spend nine months in prison if he does not pay by March 4 or a charge of spreading falsehoods. Prosecutors accused Scala of posting a video on Facebook falsely claiming that a police officer had killed a baby. He denies the charge. He denies owning the page in question, but prosecutors say it's his because it is his face. He's also charged in three other court cases for alleged crimes in 2021 for inciting violence, disorderly conduct, and obstruction of justice. Harrison Nkomo from the group defending Scala, Zimbabwe Lawyers for Human Rights, told reporters after the ruling that the legal provision applied to convict Scala was declared void by the Constitutional Court in 2014. It had made it illegal to spread information that would harm the government. Sure, case like uh, the sun will rise tomorrow, the High Court shall decide with our appeal. A registration of our displeasure or claims displeasure of this judgment, it has no foundation in law, it is not sound. This law no longer exists, and it is wrong for a court to convict someone with a law that is no longer existing. Kanye Faris, Amnesty International's Deputy Director for East and Southern Africa, comments on the conviction and sentencing of former legislator Scala. Zimbabwean authorities must quash this conviction and sentence and stop weaponizing the criminal justice system to target and harass political opponents. Zimbabwe's government has maintained that the wheels of justice are spinning as the judiciary is independent and is doing its duty. 
Farai Muroiwa Barapira is the director of information at the ruling ZANU-PF party of President Emerson Munangagwa. We are very much in belief that the courts are impartial. So if uh, Job Scala feels that uh, there might be problems with uh, the way his case was handled, I'm sure there are avenues of complaints which he may follow. That's certainly at variance with what Sikala and his legal team thinks. Once sentencing is announced for his disorderly conduct charge on Friday. He plans to file an appeal with the High Court and then he will wait for the fourth case due for sentencing next week on a charge of obstructing justice. For Daybreak Africa, I'm Golamas Mavunga in Harare. Police in Malawi have seized mobile phones and laptops from at least 14 journalists working at the state-run Malawi Broadcasting Corporation, or the MBC. The journalists are suspected of running a fake Facebook account bearing MBC's name, where they allegedly posted false and anti-government stories. Press freedom groups have faulted the police of uh, invading the journalists' privacy. Lamek Masina reports from Blantyre. A spokesperson for the Malawi Police Service, Peter Kalaya, told VOA that the probe is in response to complaints from the management of the Malawi Broadcasting Corporation. In the process of the investigations, we secured a search warrant from a court of law, which we have used to confiscate electronic gadgets from suspects, and the gadgets include phones, as well as laptops. Kalaya declined to reveal the exact number of people being investigated and how they were identified for alleged committing cyber crimes. However, local media reports say that 14 journalists associated with MBC, including some who have left the channel, have had their devices searched. MBC Public Relations Manager Chisomo Mamadi refused to comment on the investigation, saying the channel has left everything in the hands of police. Grayson Chapita, former controller of news for MPC TV in Blanta, is among the suspects. He told VOA that on Wednesday, police officers forced him to log into all his devices which have access to the internet. They searched my laptop. They were so much interested with my Facebook account. Uh, they did not check my emails, but they looked for uh, the passwords and the uh, Facebook recovery uh, in the system and the other emails that were in the system. They checked close to about 20 minutes and they took some screenshots. Chapita says police retained his devices after one of the police investigators said they did not find what they were looking for. Chapita said he stopped accessing all online platforms for MBC long before he stopped working at the state-run media organization. Some journalists who had their devices confiscated refused to give their names for fear of reprisals, but told VOA they fear police will gain access to confidential information they shared with news sources. National Police Spokesperson Nikolaya said journalists are not immune to any type of police investigation. Some of the people who we are following up 
are not employees of MBC. And you cannot run away from a criminal investigation just because you are a journalist or because you are in this or that profession. No person is above the law. Galaya said police will keep confidential all the private information they find in the confiscated phones. Lamik Masina VOA News, Blanta, Malawi. It is time now for the Break Africa Sports. And here is Samson Omale in Abuja, Nigeria. A very good Friday morning to you, Samson. Good Friday morning to you too, James. We begin the sport with football. The Equatorial Guinean Football Federation has indefinitely suspended the 2023 Africa Cup of Nations top scorer and captain Emilio Nsue Lopez and midfielder Iban Slavador for gross indiscipline at the just-concluded tournament in Cote d'Ivoire. In a release by the Federation, it did not detail the acts of indiscipline by the players but referred to a January 29th unpleasant incident by Iban in Abidjan, which necessitated the intervention of the Ivorian police. Fergufoot Secretary General Juan Antonio Nguema Menez said the incident caused a major delay in the return of the team to Equatorial Guinea and also tainted its reputation. In women football Football, Zambia footballer Rachel Kodanaji has become the world's most expensive women's player, barely six years after making her debut on the national and international scene. The 23-year-old has signed a deal with Bay FC of the American National Women's Soccer League worth $860,000, pricing her away from Madrid CFF. Kodanaji is the first African player, male or female, to break a world transfer with her transfer upstaging the previous female record of 400,000 pounds in a deal between Kiera Walsh and Barcelona in 2022. After a promising start in 2018, scoring three goals for Zambia at that year's Women's Africa Cup of Nations, her rise has been geometrical, scoring 33 League F goals in 43 games during her 18 months with Madrid. I'm super excited to join BFC. This is the opportunity I've been looking for and uh, hopefully I'll have a, a great time with the team and uh, we'll break so many records together and, you know, with the champions, with the chosen generation. Reigning champions of the CAF Beach Soccer Africa Cup of Nations, Senegal, will be joined by the competition's runners-up, Egypt, at the FIFA Beach Soccer World Cup, which got underway on Thursday in the United Arab Emirates, Dubai. The 13th edition of the FIFA Beach Soccer World Cup sees the four-time African champions Senegal joined by Egypt as the two African representatives at the 16-nation competition. The two nations secured their tickets to the global showpiece as a result of being the finalists at the CAF Beach Soccer Africa Cup of Nations held in Mozambique in 2022. In motorsports, the inaugural African Cating Cup being hosted by South Africa got underway on Thursday and will be concluded on Saturday. 40 of the finest participants from over 15 African countries, including Angola, Kenya, Madagascar, Mozambique, Namibia, Nigeria, Tanzania, South Africa, and Zimbabwe are competing in this event. The event will also introduce a mini rock invitational featuring OKN and OKJ classes in an arrive and drive format. And that's it for this Friday's edition of Daybreak Africa Sports. I am Samson. Omale in Abuja, Nigeria. It's back to you, James, in Washington. Thank you, Samson. Have a great weekend.
now for our Black History Month and African History Facts for today, February 16. On this day, 1923, blues singer Betsy Smith, known as the Empress of the Blue, made her first recording. It was called Downhearted Blues. Smith sang about things in life that give people the blues, things like poverty, racism, and love that is not returned. Her songs capture the sadness and joy of many African Americans. Also on this day, 1970, Joe Frazier became world heavyweight boxing champion after knocking out Jimmy Ellis in the second round at Madison Square Garden in New York City. On this day in 1972, during a basketball game between the Los Angeles Lakers and the Phoenix Suns, Will Chamberlain became the first man in the history of the NBA to score 30,000 points. And in African history, on this day in 1977, the Most Reverend Yunani Luwan, Anglican Archbishop of Uganda, Rwanda, Burundi, and Boga Zaire, was killed while under arrest for sedition and arms smuggling. It was revealed that Luan and two prominent government officials were killed on the orders of then-Ugandan head of state Field Marshal Idi Amin. Today is a national holiday in Uganda in commemoration of the Archbishop Junani Luan. And those are your Black History Month and African History Facts for today, February 16. And that's it for this Friday, February 16th edition of Daybreak Africa. We thank you for spending your week with us. For more African news and features, visit our website at voaafrica.com. Connect with us on all social media platforms, including Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We are also on YouTube, where you can watch our TV shows, Africa 54, Straight Talk Africa, and Red Carpet. On behalf of the Daybreak Africa team, I am James Botty, Washington, wishing that you will have a great weekend. We'll see you again on Monday morning.